So yeah, we're talking about expressing gratitude, and today I'd like to do something a little different in the message. Today, this is just going to be me, the lead pastor, having a little fireside chat, shall we say, with uh, our members and longtime attenders. But even if you are new, you're, you're not a Christian, you really couldn't have picked a better Sunday to be here and to say yes to that invitation, because today we're going to be pulling back the curtain a little bit and taking a look at a lot of the heart and the reasoning behind why and what we do what we do. So you may know that, uh, to get going, uh, you may know that one of the real joys that Carrie and I, my wife and I, have had over the years is to be a part of a community group. We love it. Uh, And yes, it gets messy sometimes. And yes, stuff gets broken and ruined. And yes, it's true that one time in our kitchen, a two liter bottle of soda dropped on the floor and then flew around the kitchen like a balloon, expelling air. And yes, our ceiling and kitchen and uh, window treatments were covered with soda for months, and we kept on finding it. So those things, yes, they happen. Uh, but we love being a part of it because it gives us a chance to really meet a lot of people and sort of shrink the church for us. And in our rapidly growing church, I don't get to meet as many people as I would like to. It, one of the ways we do that is through the group. Another way I try to do that is through doing a lot of the connection card calls. And don't get to do those every week, but most weeks I do. And uh, that always surprises people when I get on the phone with them. And I sort of get the, oh, it's somebody from the church calling voice at first until they realize, you know, it's the guy or it's the important person. And I'm somebody now before I, I wasn't. They're totally blowing me off. It's, and then they realize it's, oh, it's you. And I say, yes, it's me. And uh, I do these. And uh, one time one lady uh, said to me, because again, as I do these, I get to hear their not just, uh, you know, good things, but also some complaints and some feedback. And uh, one lady said, so you're, you're from Mosaic Church. I said, yes, I am. And she said, oh, I, the, the one with the, with the coffee bar and the lobby and the lights and stuff. I said, yes. She said, oh, I remember you. You were just Okay. <laughs> I loved it. I said, you know what? I probably was. I probably was just okay. And most of the time I I get a complaint or something. I say, you're right. We'll do our best to fix it. We're not good there yet. We're on our way. But anyway, again, being a part of a group gives us a chance to sort of shrink the church and meet people. And in uh, in the group we're in, we had a new couple visit uh, recently. And the husband pulled me aside and he said something that sometimes people will say to me, which is, uh, Morgan, we love being here, and we love the church, and we love what God's doing here. We're so grateful to be here. And then he asked me a question, which I don't often get. I've gotten it before, but it's pretty rare. And he asked me, now, Morgan, what can we do for the church? Now, I was so stunned by that. I don't hear that too often. I think the first time I ever got that question, I sort of just looked like the deer in the headlights, because most people, when they come into a church environment, they don't ask that question. They ask a different question. They usually ask, what can this church do for me? That's what most people ask. And, you know, how can the church meet my needs, take care of me? And we love doing that. We love meeting your needs and ministering to you and your, your family and your children and your marriage and all those things. But it's so rare, again, just for someone to ask, what can I, what can we do for the church? So this morning, I want to do something I do once in a while. And that is, I'm going to pretend I, uh, you actually want to hear the answer to that question. Right? This morning, I'm going to pretend that you actually want to know what you could do for Mosaic. And so humor me today. So I like for you to all to ask, Morgan, what can I do? Ready? Go ahead. Go. 
Morgan, what can I do? Great. I'm so glad you guys asked that question. That's so intuitive of you. And the reason I'm glad you asked is because it's just important to know. Important to know the answer. Because if we do this right, rightly, and, and how we do it can, quite literally, it can impact the world. And the reason I know this and believe this is because of what Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes in our passage that we read. He look in verse 3. He says, we remember... Before God, what? Your work, he says, the stuff you did, how you labored. He says, your labor because of love, because of how much you love the church, how much you loved being a part, but how much you loved what it was doing in your life or family or community. You did stuff, you served, you worked, you labored. I remember your endurance because of your hope in Jesus. And look at verse 8, he says, because of that, God's message rang out from you, not only where you are in your area, But your faith in God has become known. Where does he say? Everywhere. Isn't that amazing? He's saying how you do what you do, how you are involved in your church, your work and your labor can cause God's message in your church to become known in an area greater than your own. And so this morning, I want to hone in on that one phrase, the phrase, your faith in God has become known everywhere. And just ask, what would it look like for you to partner with this church in some way as to maybe, just maybe, make that happen. So I want to lay out five ways we can make that statement true of us. I want to suggest five ways to you. I want to suggest that you connect, serve, give, invite, and dream. So four practical, one sort of spiritual. And before I even get to those five today, I actually want to make a case for why you need to hear those five and three quick reasons why I'm going to talk about those five. First, in any group, any church, organization, team, there are just things, there's just stuff that's got to get done to help the team, the group, the church, the organization to be what it needs to be. There's just stuff we got to do that ensures that we continue to like what we're a part of. And that's important because we, I know I do, I want to have a church that I like. I know we want to have a church that we like being a part of. That's important, but it's not the most important reason. Second, we want to continue to be the kind of church that people that you would want to invite your friends to. That's important. It's also important, but that's not the most important reason. The most important reason, I believe it's important to talk about this today of all days, is because, hear this, of the growing stewardship that this church has, is growing to have in the body of Christ. Because when people hear of our story, when they hear of the more or less impossible odds that we've overcome to flourish and thrive, they want to know more. About seven years ago, uh, 97% plus of churches, so I'm told, in our position don't make it. They go dark, the the, the lights go off, they, they shutter the building and all that. But we didn't do that. And not only did we just not make it, but, or make it, but we are thriving and growing in every kind of way. At one point, actually, due to a number of factors, uh, the church had so shrunk, shriveled, atrophied to such a small group of people. It was like we had to light fires right there in the middle of the room to keep them warm, I think, on a Sunday. But uh, we were in the red every month financially, no one coming to know Jesus. But now, years later, by God's grace, by your faithfulness and partnership, this fall, actually, we've pushed way past 900 people, almost 1,000 people many weekends. And people are coming to faith in Jesus regularly. Our financial picture has never been brighter. 
And this last week, I was actually at dinner with a group of pastors, and they, they heard our story, and one stared at me, and he asked, he asked, how did you do it? I want to know. And so we're getting asked to help now churches create the kind of culture, environment we have here. We are not perfect. Massive room for improvement and growth and learning curve, I know. But here's the point. Again, we have a growing stewardship in the body of Christ. And therefore, just your being here, just your participating, doing the stuff is making that happen. You're shaping the world in ways you don't even know, just like that Thessalonian church. They had to be told, look, what you're doing is making a difference outside your own church. And let me show you one way how we are currently doing that. Dr. Michael Emerson is a sociology professor at Rice University, and he's done the largest investigation of race and church that's available today. And this is what he's found. It's pretty incredible. And I quote, he found, this is involvement in multiracial congregations, it's like ours, over time leads to fundamental differences. Friendship patterns change. We find that people in multiracial congregations have significantly more friendships across race than do other Americans. For example, for those attending racially homogenous, means everybody's the same, congregations, 83% said most or all their friends were the same race as them. For those not attending any congregation, 70% said most or all their friends were the same race as them. Now let's pause here for a second because that's tough. That's saying actually sometimes churches can be barriers to the walls of racial differences coming down. He said you're more likely actually to have racially diverse friends if you don't go to a church that looks all like you. Yeah. But then he says, here's the good news. He says, but for those attending multiracial congregations, there is a dramatic difference. Only 36% of people attending racially mixed congregations said most or all of their friends were the same race as them. And we found that those 36% were relatively recent arrivals, arrivals to their racially mixed congregations. Indeed, we found that by far the most important factor in people having racially diverse relationships is whether they attend a racially mixed congregation, partly due to the greater relationships across race, involvement in multiracial congregations leads to attitudinal change change toward closing the racial gap in racial attitudes. He concludes this way. The implication for a racially divided but changing nation is clear. In contemporary times, multiracial congregations offer a promising path forward. And you ought to say amen. Yeah, thank you. So why are we talking about this today? Again, for you, for others, for the world Here we go. Five things you can do to partner with this church. Number one, I'm going to ask you today to connect, to connect and specifically in two ways. First, for those of you who have been here and you've been here and you've been here, but you never really formally joined the church. I want to talk to you for a second. You say, well, gosh, Morgan, Jesus never talked about church membership and you're right, but Jesus didn't really talk much about how to build or organize a church at all. And again, some people say, well, I don't know. I'm sort of skeptical of organized church. I think, well, gosh, well, what do you want better or more? You want, would, you know, do you want disorganized church? Would disorganized church work better for you? Where are your kids? We don't know. Where'd your money go? We don't know. It's just disorganized. That's what you wanted. <laughs> Pretty sure you wouldn't want that. But Jesus 
put that in the hands of his disciples and people who followed him. Like, again, Peter and Matthew and Paul was a guy I think Jesus uh, chose personally to help lead his church. And Paul said, listen, God places people in his body where he sees fit, not just where they do, right? See, people think that, you know, they're super spiritual by not joining a church. Listen, you're not super spiritual. You're just super cultural, because our culture is full of non-joiners. You ever wondered at the rise in not joining a church also coincides with the rise in our nation of not joining anything at all? Hmm, I think they're probably connected. See, our culture is full of non-joiners. Our culture says, don't commit. But listen, if your gym can ask you to join, if the YMCA can ask you to sign something and join, surely the church of Jesus can ask you to formally recognize what he has already done in your life, and that's put you here. So please, don't just come for a show, take notes, ignore everybody out on their way to the parking lot, all right? But second, I want to ask you to connect in a community group, because here we don't just sit in rows, we gather in circles, and meeting in smaller groups, loving for one another, praying for one another, supporting one another, doing life together, being on mission in the city together, those kind of things are central to the Christian message. Why? Because Christianity at its core is all about these two words, one another, one another. And you can't get the depth of that right now on a Sunday. See, a local church, you know this, can just gravitate towards putting people in rows. And maybe if you're here and you hear us talk about numbers, your mind goes there, but don't let it because this church is not just about rows, not about rows or numbers or a building. It's about this Jesus's commandment in John 13. He says, a new suggestion. I've thought about giving to you, maybe. Change one another. No, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, what's your point here, Jesus? Uh, you're not being clear enough. I can't get it. It's like going to take a dictionary concordance to get No, no. How in the world can people know where your disciples? He said it three times in case you miss it the first two. Love one another. How are you doing that here? Hmm? How can you obey Jesus in that regard? You can connect in a group. And you say, I'm connected in this group or I go to that study. Great. Go to that. Love that. Great. But listen, here's why this is so important. Because I want to ask you, what would happen? Because I get asked this question. What would happen, Morgan, to Mosaic if something happened to you? So let's go there. I mean, let's just, it was just worst case scenario. What would happen to the church if something happened to John and Galen, our elder team, and then to our amazing staff or deacons or somebody? You know, what would happen if all those folks went away and went to, on to glory? Then the church, the building burned down. And then we even, didn't even have insurance to replace it. I mean, I mean, worst case scenario, right? Here's what would happen. On one hand, that would be really tough. There's no question. On the other hand, Mosaic Church would continue to go on because we have hundreds of people gathering in dozens of groups all over the city, loving one another, serving one another, praying for one another, going on mission for God, with God, with one another, and learning how to replicate themselves as they do it. The Church of Jesus, listen, it's not about a facility, not. It's about loving, 
following him in ways that let the world know that you are countercultural and perhaps there's no greater way to be countercultural in a culture that says don't join anything, don't trust anyone, everything's about you, than to join a local church and commit and grow. So to help you do this, to help you get in a group, uh, we've got a couple of ways. There's that blue card in front of you you hear about. Sometimes we have this amazing thing called group link and it's in there and you know we have a room full of community group leaders waiting to welcome you and it can be sort of scary and intimidating sometimes and maybe if you've been there before you know what happens, right? I mean you, you go and you, you're on your way and your husband at the last second says, honey, I'll get the car, you go, you know, and he makes you go in there all alone and face the firing squad. But no, I promise all the group leaders are Christians in there. They're actually nice people. And so if you've never been, next time we have one, go. We're planning to launch a bunch of groups at the beginning of the year, so find one and connect. Number two, I'm going to ask you to serve. Serve. Second answer to the question, how can I partner in the gospel here? It's to serve on a team. And for those of you who are in the business world, you have a company or organization, you know that there are just some things that your, your company's got to do that are mission critical. That, it, that if you do those, you can make mistakes in a lot of other areas, you can get stuff wrong. But if you do certain key things, your company or your, your, your organization are going to go on. And for us, that really is our Sunday morning teams, our production team, welcome, hospitality, children's ministry, coffee bar. And these are important because when people ask me, you know what, I loved it here. What's, what's the secret sauce? In the church, I actually usually just say, it's actually Jesus here. And they kind of look at me like they wanted a better answer. And I thought, God, haven't you been to Sunday school? It's the answer for everything, right? I mean, come on, you know this. Or you're a pastor. I thought Jesus would be enough. But no, they say, well, what's the secret sauce? And I say, actually, it's the quality of the people that you meet on our teams. It's just true. And uh, the, the secret sauce isn't a message or a preaching that you hear, uh, here, or the worship is amazing. That is, and, and I, I, I get this actually kind of feedback all the time because people will they'll come up to me and they'll say, "Man, I loved it here. That it was so great." And I'm thinking, I know why. It's because of something I said, wasn't it? And um, they'll say, "No, I mean, I, my kids loved it in children's ministry. I mean, that superhero sidekick video that like broke the internet two weeks ago. I think that was amazing. My kids are still singing that, or they'll come up and say, I loved it here. I'll say, why? They'll say, the chai tea was so, I think you, you like the tea. That's why you're going to come back, but they like the tea. And so, great. But listen, our Sunday morning teams, for reasons like those, are, those are crucial. And you may be thinking, well, Okay, fine, but I don't want to have to babysit kids here. Don't make me. Well, first of all, if they're your kids, it's not called babysitting. It's called parenting, right? Called parenting. And second of all, we don't want you to do something you're no good at. You say, well, why is that? I say, it's because you're no good at it, right? We don't want you doing that. So, and here's what we don't want. We don't want this to be the lesson in church for our kids that God is boring, the Bible's boring, church is boring, come, next, come back next week for forever, right? We don't, we don't want that. But thankfully, because of many of you, and you just look around the room, wearing their, I call them our superhero t-shirts. Man, DC's got Superman, Marvel's got whoever. We've got our own superhero shirts on, M-Kids shirts. Listen, our children's ministry, it isn't boring. They laugh, jump, sing, play. It's amazing. 
And though, if you want to do it, we can actually help train you to be better at it. And if there were an area we do need help in, it is our children's ministry, not because it's going badly or it's a sinking ship, but because it's actually going great. We've got one child here for every 2.5 adults. That's an unheard of ratio. It's crazy. We're actually, hear this, we're so lucky. We're so blessed by God to have that amazing privilege and responsibility. Listen, I said it before, I'll say it again. This church has never been, nor will ever be built on the gifts of a few. But it's built on the sacrifice of many. Just is. And what many of you have tasted when you've come in here is all the years of investment and service and sacrifice that so many people have made on your behalf. And when you come into and you get into the stream of Mosaic Church, and if you then at that point don't choose to also contribute to that, now you begin to dilute the power of what we have together. See? So get on a service team, grow, make friends, sacrifice together. It keeps us being the kind of church that you liked when you walked in in the first place. Number three, I want to ask you this morning also to give and specifically financially. Now last week, as you saw, we had a blast, right? Doing our our Live Big Sunday. I mean, that was so fun. Thank you. One person had fun. It was really great because that's like the most fun you can have for $39.95. It's the most fun you can have for that money. I mean, if you've done, you've spent thirty nine ninety five someplace else, you don't really ever remember where you spent it. I mean, on the infomercial that I know you've all given into at late night, you're up watching it, your spouse went to bed or you're up late with your roommates, the Vegematic commercial comes on. You don't need one of those or the super slicer knife package. You don't need one of those, but you did it. Now, where are those knives? You don't know. Where's the Vegematic? You don't know where it's broken or you sold it for 50 cents in a garage sale, right? But last Sunday was the most fun for $39.95 you could ever have because you know where it went. It's making a big difference. And that was super fun. Matter of fact, one day I'm believing and dreaming we could write not just a $34,000 check, biggest offering check we've ever given away, but one day maybe even a million dollar check. Could you imagine that one day? We just give that give that away. That'd be amazing for us. I mean, we could do a lot with that money and even with $34,000. But listen, even though we raised in one day thirty-four grand to give away, it didn't just take us one day. In reality, it's taken us seven years. Seven years to be able to give that away <clears throat> because that's about how long our current leadership team's been in place. And because of, of, of a number of factors, including that team. Over the last few years, we have had hundreds of individuals and families faithfully partner with us, give a percentage, fixed percentage of their income, 10%, 12, 15, 20% to enable to make this church be able to do what it does. And those people are heroes of this church. If that's you, you're a hero of this church. And let me tell you why, because these are the people who have said, I don't care if you all do something magical with my dollars. I don't care if my money goes to paying for a facility or for salaries or for a change in the carpet or paying the light bill. And I kid you not, when I said paying the light bill in the first service, the lights went off. And you can't make this stuff up if you were, it's just true. It happened. Anyway, 
like we actually have paid the light bill here. But anyway, these are people who give a percentage or people who have said, my money isn't special money. That can only go to give something that gives me goosebumps. But I trust you, Morgan. I trust the leadership team to make good decisions. And I know many of you, even all of you, trust us here because the last time we had a financial meeting, only like 10 people came. People show up at those when stuff is not going good, but when stuff's going good and they trust and people don't show up. So great, but we do it anyway. But listen, our financial heroes are ones who have just said, I'm going to be a steady, consistent, faithful giver because they understand that's what it takes to make a church go. And unfortunately, in our culture, many people only want to give like they gave last week. And that was, of course, that was super fun, right? Again, law, as much fun as you can have for that amount of money. And some of you, by the way, of course, you know you didn't just give $39.95. You went $49.95. You blew past $59.95, like a $199.95. And you, you went out and you got in the car and you thought, oh my gosh, what did I just do? But it was fun, right? It was emotional. And it was great. But that's only what we'll call introductory giving, intro giving. That's, that's spontaneous that's one time it's emotional. The plate goes around, the thing is in the office, or the knock on the door, and you give the 20, 50, 100, or whatever. And that's good. You should give to that. I give to that. That honors God. But next level giving is really what changes the world because next level giving is steady, consistent percentage giving to a church. Again, because that's what it takes to make a church great. Intro giving like we did last week, that's responsive giving. Great, let's do that. Next level giving, though, hear this, is preventative giving so that we don't have to do as much responsive giving in the future. Giving, intro giving, that's like, that's like running the 5K, right? You don't train, you just show up, you do it one time, you go home, you survive, right? That's what we did last week. But next level giving That's steady, faithful. That's like lifetime, year-round training. It's healthier for everyone. And this church does both, and you should too. Number four, I want to encourage you to invite. Invite people, and here's why this one's so important. Uh, If you were to ask me, Morgan, what is the biggest concern that you have for this church? What's your biggest concern? What keeps you up at night? What are you thinking about? Listen, my biggest concern for this church has been, is what it's always been from day one when I got here and I found this out, learned this lesson, I learned that the gravitational pull of any church is toward itself. It's just inward because the gravitational pull of any church is always tends to be towards keeping members, loving them, pastoring them, meeting their needs, because there are always people, you know this, in a church of any size, always people getting married and getting sick and not necessarily in that order, right? Those things aren't always connected, but getting married, getting sick, having babies, lots of babies, right? always people or maybe they're uh, they're upset or unhappy because we don't do this or we should have done that and that's all true but the pull of the church is always inward because it's made up of who people whose hearts go where inward it's like martin luther said great uh, german theologian the human heart is incurvatus say human heart is curved inward on itself and it's really funny because i know none of us would ever want to be a part of a church that was just 
looking after itself, right? I mean, you don't want to go home and say, man, I'm so glad to be a part of something that only thinks about itself. You don't want to want that, right? No. On the other hand, the main reason most people go to a church in the first place is to get their needs met, right? So there's some tension there. But Jesus' great commission calls us to have, while we take care of people, also an outward aim to make this not just about us. And my concern, the thing that keeps me up, is that we would grow and grow and grow and get so strong and so good at taking care of people's needs that one day we look up and we're only about ourselves. And so, therefore, hear this, we structure what we do and how we do it so that, in most cases, new people can come in and be touched or be ministered to or spoken to and reached and encounter Jesus, and not just so that lifelong Christians can get more interesting information. Okay, And when you invite someone totally new, you just begin to experience all of this through new eyes. Because I, I, you know this, I hear it all the time. People will ask me when they don't invite people, they'll ask, Morgan, why do we have to stop worship? They'll never stop worshiping in heaven. Why do we have to stop, you know, today? Thinking, well, God made you with the bladder, and these things tend to fill up once in a while. And, you know, I mean, you got a job to go to on Monday, I assume. And, you know, who doesn't actually want to hear like six, eight, ten, twelve songs every Sunday? Your unchurched neighbor you brought. Or people say, Morgan, you know, I, I want to be in a part of a church where the Holy Spirit can speak to you. And you just drop your notes and go like 30 minutes longer. Do you know who's not praying? We go 30 minutes longer. All the people taking care of your kids. Right? Our kids are not. Matter of fact, they're praying we go shorter. Like, man, can you just get to the point? Make the point. Drop the mic. Let's go home. Right? Well, they're praying. And you, when you bring someone new, you're just hoping I don't go 30 minutes longer. You're hoping that I don't say something stupid, right? And talk about money on the day you brought a friend. Oh, wait, it's too late. We already made that mistake. You get the point. Get the point. When you invite someone who doesn't normally come to a church, you remember why it is we do what we do. And if you'll take a risk and you'll just invite someone like Philip said to Nathaniel, just come and see. I can't describe it. I can't explain it all. Just come and see. Who knows what might happen with your friend's life? (coughs) They may make a decision that changes their life for forever. They may make a decision that changes the world forever. Who knows? They may be forever grateful to you, and all you did was risk a tiny bit of an uncomfortable moment there, right? So will you be bold in your invitation? I hope you will. (sighs) Nothing bad's really going to happen. I promise. All right. That's it. So invite, invite, watch what happens. Connect, serve, give, invite. But finally, and most important of all, I want to encourage you this morning to dream with me. And I want to change directions here a bit in terms of tone and content. Dream. A man by the name of Celestin Musakara is a Christian pastor in Rwanda, and you may know the unspeakable happened there in 1990 in the course of around a hundred days. Almost one million people were killed, massacred by one another, by two warring tribes, the majority Hutu group and the minority Tutsis. 
And in the wake of that massacre and genocide, Celestin felt called to lead a multi-ethnic church in Rwanda. And his vision was to have people from every tribe, from both tribes, who formerly actually killed one another's families to be reconciled to each other and in a church, reconciled by Jesus' blood, receiving communion together, and helping the nation to move forward. And as he dreamed this, as he preached this, as he lived this, his fellow Hutus, the majority culture in his nation, his fellow majority culture folk, they felt betrayed by him because he called them as majority culture people to repent for how they treated the minority. He called them to seek forgive, ask for forgiveness for how they lived and how they'd done. And in the minority group, the Tutsis, they hated him because he called them to offer forgiveness and to seek restoration with the majority group that had hurt them. And as a result, he was repeatedly beaten. He was jailed. He was tortured for hours on end by his, sometimes his own people group. But the church began to grow in spite of all this until a few years later when something far worse happened. One Sunday morning, a mob invaded his village and murdered his father, many of his relatives, and his friends. And after that, he thought, I can't go on anymore. This is too much of a price for me to pay. God, you're asking too much of me for me to be here and help this go forward. He says, in that moment, though, the Holy Spirit flooded his heart and spoke to him, and he wrote down what he felt that God spoke to him in that moment, and here it is, he's in his book, and it's difficult to read. He said, that God said to him, you have been teaching others about repentance and forgiveness. You do well in instructing others and leading others toward forgiveness. It is now your turn to forgive those who killed your relatives without asking where I was. It is your turn to forgive those who brutally murdered your loved ones, even before you know their names. It is up to you to make a choice. Either forgive and let me take care of the rest, or fail to forgive and give up your freedom, joy, and peace. You can either choose to be a hypocrite who teaches what he does not practice, or you can be the wounded healer who gives the healing gift of forgiveness to the undeserving. And that's what he did. And church, my dream for me, my dream for you, for us, is that we would be that. We would be a group, a church full of wounded healers who out of our own hurt and wounding offer healing to the world. Matter of fact, isn't that who Jesus is to us, right? Isaiah 53, by his what? Wounds, yeah, we are healed. He is a wounded healer to us. And there are, of course, many in our country this past week who have been wounded by what's gone on or over the past election season. You know, not don't show your hands. Have any of you been wounded? I mean, I know I have in, in small ways and some of you large ways over this past week through sometimes no fault of your own. Maybe you were just trying to be a voice of truth. You got hurt because of it. Maybe you're trying to be a voice of reason. Maybe a voice of reconciliation. Maybe somebody else's wounds kind of washed over you, hurt you in the process, and you didn't even do anything, no fault of your own, right? I mean, maybe you were wounded like just this man, Celestin, trying to stand and bring people together. It's not fair, not right. But would you dream with me a little bit today? Would you share this dream that somehow your wounds, mine, ours, could bring healing to one another first, maybe even 
in the city, maybe the world. Look at what Paul says here. We read it. Let's read it again in a new light. He says, Church Thessalonians, you became imitators of us. Why? You welcome the message in the midst of what? Severe suffering. With the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a what? What's the word? Model. A dream. To all the believers. Everybody looks is looking to you, he said, for how you received God's word in the middle of a difficult time. And because of it, the Lord's message rang out from you. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. It's amazing. Listen, we can't change everybody in this country. I know you wish we could. I wish I could. wish you could. And I'm not sure actually God's asking us to do that. Even expects us to. He's got a lot of people all over the country doing stuff. But what we can do is this. Better and better and better and learn and forgive and listen and apologize and repent and offer forgiveness and do it better and better. We're getting better. We're not where we were. We're not where we need to be. But do it over and over. Better and better. And God, as we do this, will open up ways for us to be this in increasing ways. For example, this past week, in this country, this past week, in my life, for example, I was asked to help lead a committee of helping pastors and churches come together to have a citywide conversation on race in the church. First time ever. Now, I was basically dumb enough to open my mouth in a meeting and talk about how great all of you are. And all of you are, and they, hey, well, why don't you do something about it? They asked me. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know how long that's going to take to get going and where we're going to go with that. But what Paul said of them there is becoming true of us here. Our, our, our faith in God in the midst of difficulty and suffering is becoming known. And in some ways, we're becoming a model for other churches. And by God's grace, let that be true of us.